Tyler's message is an elephant in the room, and actually we do have an elephant in the room. And uh, I know maybe those up in the balcony can't see it, but uh, nonetheless, thanks to Haley Benefield, we got a great elephant in the room, and uh, we'll cover Jake up for a little bit. He won't mind. I'll move the elephant for you. Get back up here, Jake, actually. Grant's little granddaughter throwed a fit because she wanted to take that elephant home. But nonetheless, uh, maybe I can give it to her next week. Elephant in the room, it's an English language metaphorical idiom for an obvious problem or risk that no one wants to discuss. It is based on the idea, thought, that something as conspicuous as an elephant can appear to be overlooked in codified social interactions, and that the sociology of psychology of repression also operates on a macro scale. That's out of a dictionary. I didn't write those big words, and I can't explain to you what they mean, but I think it's impressive, you know, kind of when you use those a little bit. But, uh, and then a lot of you are thinking, man, what's that goofball using them big words for? He didn't even know what they mean. But that's, that's, uh, that's right. You're exactly right on the money. It alludes to the silence and denial in everyday life of issues that we really want to ignore, and hopefully and eventually they'll go away, that poof, they'll just be gone and they won't be there Hence, elephant in the room or sweep it under the rug. In 1814, Ivan Kryloff, poet and fabulous, wrote a fable entitled Inquisitive Man in which he talks about a man in a museum and he's going around and he's looking at all these intricate small pieces when right there in the same room is this huge elephant and he, he doesn't even notice it. He walks around it and whatever. See, this is what happened in Corinth. We talked about this last week. We, about Paul bringing this to light, so to speak, of the incident in this church. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 13. I, I usually don't do this, but I'm going to use the same text this morning because it's going to springboard me, as Steve said, transition into something else that I, I really wanted to address this morning. Well, God wanted me to address it, actually. I, I like Paul starts out, he says, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. Something so evil that even the pagans don't do it. I am told that you have a man in your church who is living in sin with his father's wife, and you are so proud of yourselves. Why aren't you mourning in sorrow and shame, and why haven't you removed this man from your fellowship? Even though I am not there with you in person, I am with you in the Spirit. Concerning the one who has done this, I have already passed judgment. In the name of the Lord Jesus, you are to call a meeting of the church, and I will be there in spirit, and the power of the Lord Jesus will be with you as you meet. Then you must cast this man out of the church and into Satan's hands so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved when the Lord returns. And in this culture in which we live, that, that seems so harsh. It seems so judgmental. Yet, this is what God said. And I think that's the point a lot of times. It's, not, it's, it's what he says. I didn't write this. He did. And, it, and he has upheld his word for millennium, actually, but sometimes we, and like I say this a lot as well, we are experts as humans at rationalization. We try to rationalize things away. And usually when I do a funeral, I stand and we look at the casket or you look at the urn, and with all within us, we'd like to rationalize that away and say that didn't happen, but we cannot because it's right in front of our eyes. It's there. It's either ashes or a dead body, and that's just the way that it is. And I do believe... This is the way it is with the Word of God and, and how we have altered it 
and tried to make it fit our lifestyle instead of the other way around. And Paul's not letting the Corinthians do that. Verse 6, how terrible that you should boast about your spirituality, and yet you let this sort of thing go on. Don't you realize that even one person is allowed to go on sinning? Soon all will be affected. Remove this wicked person from among you so that you can stay pure. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival, not by eating the old bread of wickedness and evil, but by eating the new bread of purity and truth. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or who are greedy or swindlers or idol worshipers. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. And isn't that so true? Verse 11, what I meant was that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a Christian yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or a drunkard or a swindler. Don't even eat with such people. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your job to judge those in the context inside the church who are sinning in these ways. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. So this was the elephant in the room at Corinth was sexual immorality. Paul put the spotlight on it and said, you can't ignore this anymore because it is hurting your church, actually. And so I, I asked this question last week, is there any sexual immorality here at Crossroads? Here's the danger of sexual sin versus other sins, and it, it vast majority of the time it's hidden. Only you and God know that unless you get caught, unless you're at work on your computer, you're watching porn or something, somebody comes up behind you and you can't get it off the screen quick enough, you're caught. So it, 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 it creates this tremendous uh, pressure point in a sense that, that you have to deal with. But, but most of the time, like I said, it's, it's hidden so nobody knows it. But, but God knows it. Paul said 1,900 years ago, the sexual immorality was destroying the church witness in that city. And we think about the church in 2018. Who can tell how paralyzed is the witness of the church in these days of moral laxity because of this kind of thing? The alarming horror of juvenile crime has one of its biggest factors, sex perversion. This evil stems from the self-indulgent age in which we live. Self-indulgence. You're not telling me what to do. I'm going to do what I want. And how dare you say anything? Even though it seems like abuse to some or whatever, or something that's so evil that even uh, the pagans don't do it, is what Paul said, but who are you to tell me? I'm going to do what I want when I want, and that's just the way that it is. And that is kind of the world in which we live. And it stems from a lot of different things. We have a lot of input from what we watch on TV to the movies we watch, the video games we play, and, and what we observe on the Internet from a lack of parental control and most of all from the lack of the presence of the power of God and the Holy Spirit in Christian living. Paul said, you guys got to do something about this, whether you want to or not. He made up his mind that it must be done and the guilty person who brought the sin of his own life into the setting of the church has to be dealt with. We find in Matthew 18, 15 through 17, Jesus' words, and he tells us what to do in a sense 
And this goes beyond sexual sin. It goes into if we have issues with each other, if we're mad at each other, whatever. If your brother sins, you are not to condone it. You are not to say that it has nothing to do with you because you are a fellow member of the body. Because he is within the Christian group, the whole fellowship is affected by it. Go, therefore, and see this man alone, and if he hears you, you have won him. If he won't hear you, take two or three others. If he won't hear them, take it to the church, within, which then must act. If he refuses to listen, to repent, to confess, then there is only one course left. He must be dealt with as a heathen and a publican. Thus saith the Lord, and thus saith Paul, deliver such as one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. So after the church cuts him off, hopefully that in that act of love, which doesn't seem like love, but that's tough love, that they will confess, that they will repent and be brought back into the fellowship of the church because being part of the local body is such a big issue with them. But here's the issue I want to talk about this morning. And people have brought this up, and I've never really addressed it. What's the difference between an attender and a member? There's a difference there, and I want to point that out. And I, I think the issue within the context of church discipline, correct me if I'm wrong. I think we are to correct members, but I don't know about attenders. That's the the question that I struggle and and wrestle with and let the Holy Spirit handle that, but there is a difference there. When one gives their heart to Christ, you become automatically become a, a, a part of God's household, and you see that you are connected to every other believer on the face of this earth. You are one huge group, one huge body within the kingdom of God. But for the person... If they're not connected to a local body, which is a church, they, they have nobody to keep them accountable, actually. And I, I, I need accountability in my life, as we all do, and, that, and that's what the church does, because we're all members. And, and the hand can't say to the foot that I don't need you anymore. I'd be stumping around on one foot. It, it, it all works together. That, that, is, that is the point. That is why membership is so important. What's it mean to be a member here at Crossroads, or maybe you go to another church and you remember that church. But I, I want to bring that back up this morning to remind you of the covenant and the promise that you made to God when you joined the church. What's it mean to be a member? I'm going to go over this again. We go over this in 101. So if you become a member or have already become a member, you have this information. But what I've learned as a follower of Christ, as I know and study the Word, it's a series of rote. It's a series of going over and over things again till it starts to really take root in your heart, actually. Here's what it means to be a member. The difference between attenders and members can be summed up in one word, commitment. At Crossroads, we recognize the need for a formal membership. We ask you to commit to membership for four reasons. Number one, it's a biblical reason. Christ is committed to the church. Ephesians 5.25, Christ loved the church and he gave his life for it. Two, a cultural reason. It's an antidote to our society. We live in an age where very few want to be committed to anything. Jobs, marriage, uh, the country actually. 
And it's produced a generation of, of hoppers and shoppers at church. If they go somewhere and they, they get a little upset by a message they heard or somebody upsets them, they just go to another and go to another and go to another. And, and that's the problem. They don't sink the roots in somewhere, and then they don't really feel connected. That is the problem. Number three, it's a practical reason. It defines who can be counted on. Every team has a roster. Every school has an enrollment. Every business a payroll. Every army an enlistment. Even our country takes a census. It, it comes down to that. Who can you count on? Number four, a personal reason. It produces spiritual growth. The New Testament places a major emphasis on the need for Christians to be accountable to each other for spiritual growth. You cannot be accountable when you're not committed to any specific church family. And here's what is expected of you and as me as a member. At Crossroads, we never ask our members to do more than the Bible clearly teaches. We only expect our members to do what the Bible expects every Christian to do. These responsibilities are spelled out in the membership covenant. Here's the Crossroads membership covenant that many of you have taken. Many of you have mouthed this and said it in your heart. Having received Christ as my Lord and Savior and being in agreement with Crossroads statements, strategy, and structure... I now feel led by the Holy Spirit to unite with the Crossroads Church family. In doing so, I commit myself to God and to the other members to do the following. It's not that you just committed yourself to Christ. You've committed yourself to each other. When you say, we are members of the Crossroads Church of God, we are one body, that means you have brothers and sisters now, and they rely on you to do what God has called you to do as you live up to your end of the bargain, so to speak. Number one, I will protect, protect the unity of my church by acting in love toward other members, by refusing to gossip, by following the leaders. Crossroads member, are you doing this? That's the question. Paul, he went over this over and over as far as the point about being in unity, being one. Romans 15, 19. So let us concentrate on the things which make for harmony and on the growth of our fellowship together. Let's not focus on things that are... Not that important, but this is what we need to focus on, is harmony and unity. Live in complete harmony with each other, each with the attitude of Christ toward each other, Romans 15, 5. Peter said, 1 Peter 1, 22, Having sincere love for your fellow believers, love one another earnestly with all your hearts. Ephesians 4, 29, back to Paul, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Hebrews 13, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be no advantage to you. Number two, I will share the responsibility of my church by praying for its growth, by inviting the unchurched to attend, by warmly welcoming those who visit. So I ask you as a Crossroads member, are you doing this? To the church, we always thank God for you and pray for you constantly, 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, Luke 14, 23. Go out into the country and urge everyone you find to come in so that my house will be full. Romans 15, 7. So warmly welcome each other into the church just as Christ has warmly welcomed you. Then God will be glorified. Number three, I will protect or I will serve the ministry of my church by discovering my gifts and talents. When you take life development in 301, this is what Kurt teaches and this is what he helps you to do. Also, by being equipped to serve by my pastors and leadership team, and by developing a servant's heart. So I ask you, Crossroads member, are you doing this? Serve one another with particular gifts God has given each of you, 1 Peter 4.10. God gave some to be pastors, teachers, and pre prepare God's people for works of ministry so that the body of Christ may be built up. Ephesians 4.11 and 12. 
Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who took on the very nature of a servant. Philippians 2, 3 and 4 and verse 7. And in 4, I will support the testimony of my church by attending faithfully, by giving, living a godly life, by giving regularly and consistently. It's vital to our existence. And I ask you, Crossroads member, are you doing this? Hebrews 10, 25, let us not give up the habit of meeting together, but let us encourage one another. But whatever happens, make sure that your everyday life is worthy of the gospel of Christ, Philippians 1, 27. And in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, each one of you on the first day of each week should set aside a specific sum of money in proportion to what you have earned and use it for the offering. It's a blessing to the giver and the receiver. There's four things about giving. Giving all allows us to reflect God's character because we know that God is a giver. Two, giving builds community and family. As you share, it builds that love. Number three, giving produces maturity, and in giving allows God to give to the giver. You see the difference between attenders and members. When you become a member, you make a commitment to God and to each other that you're going to do what God has called you to do and that you're going to become more and more like Christ. That, that is our goal. We, we do a lot of different things and say a lot of different things, but in all reality, when you boil that down in our life, every day that should be a focus, that we become more and more like Christ. That, that is the point. And this is what the Scripture says about church discipline. It, be, it should be administered because you're loved. It's like children, if you've got a baby and there's a hot wood stove and that baby's going toward that stove, what, what parent or adult in that room wouldn't reach out and grab that child and pull it back? Because you know, the child doesn't know. They don't realize that that stove is going to take the skin off of their hands or whatever, but you know that, so you're going to do something. And, and that is the point about brothers and sisters in Christ that we love each other and we see one another going the wrong way. You don't reach out in judgment with a fist. You don't slam them on the head with a Bible. You reach out with open arms and say, you know what? I love you too much to let you keep going down this road without at least warning you. That, that's what we're supposed to be doing in the body. But boy, we, and a lot of times we don't do that because I, I don't know. <laughs> If we're in a position, maybe we can because we're not living it either. That's the problem. That is the point here. But church discipline is, is, is because you love people. It's not because you're mad at them. But what about church discipline today in 2018? Paul's firm response to blatant sin in the church meets hardened resistance today. Discipline and accountability are sorely lacking in churches. And here's usually what's happened with a sinful member. You go to them in love, and the first thing that happens is the old hackles come up on the back of the neck, and they're mad that you'd even bring that up. Because we should just sweep it under the rug and, not, and ignore the elephant in the room and go on and do life and mind each other's business. That, that's kind of the, the mindset. And here's what happens. These people, if you do this even in love, if it makes them mad enough, they'll just quit. You know what? I knew this church was phony and all you guys are hypocrites. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not coming back. 
Or sometimes they might go to another church till the same thing happens there, and then they're moving on and on and on and on. You see, the problem with that is, is us facing up to who we are and what God wants us to do, actually. A lot of people don't see it as love. And maybe some people come across too harsh that, that they're judging them, but they're just trying to help them. These times are as desperate as those Paul faced in Corinth. And like I said, a lot of the sin we commit, unless we're caught, it's just between us and God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine every week if the Holy Spirit would come in and they'd bring a tech-savvy angel that knew how to run stuff, knew how to get on your Facebook page, knew how to get in your life, and for every week we'd feature a different person and the sins they committed that week... That'd be wild, wouldn't it? We know that's absurd, but Paul dealt with the elephant in the room at Corinth. And you know what I believe this morning as I stand here before you as your pastor and as one that loves you with all my heart? I think all of us have one of these somewhere. I think in all of our lives that there are things that we struggle with, and there are things that have set on us for years. It's like that one commercial guy trying to breathe, there's an elephant sitting on him. But we haven't done anything about it. We, maybe we like it too much. Maybe, maybe the misery is worth what we're doing, and the agony that we cause within our own souls and the guilt that we have. I don't know what your elephant is in your life. Maybe it's it's your sin. Maybe it's something else that you've done that maybe you shouldn't have or the way that you treat people, whatever. I think you can all condense that deck into sin, actually. That you've ignored it or denied it. Maybe your lifestyle is not living up with God's. Maybe it's totally opposite of the way God wants you to live and you're, you're struggling with that. I suppose I'll be the one to mention the elephant in the room. And that's, I think families sometimes, it, maybe even at Thanksgiving, when you gather with your family, there was an elephant in that room that's been going on, but nobody wanted to deal with it. So you just, you just let it stand there and, and, and look at you. But the problem is it, it, it causes duress sometimes in our lives. As you pray this morning and ask God to show you the elephant in your life, Maybe God wants you to change direction, to confess and repent and listen to the Holy Spirit as he speaks to your life and into your heart. Are you a member here at Crossroads? Are you living up to the covenant that you made with God concerning membership? Are you living up to, to one another? We're 20 years old. God brought us to Sullivan and, and started Crossroads, and, and, he, and he breathed life into it on October 4th, 1998. He created a family, a family that didn't exist before, a family that God had put on this earth to bring light and darkness into this community. Granted, there were churches here, and they were reaching people as well, but as we look around this morning and we see how many's here, and I say this over and over again, it's amazing the influence that just us right here in this room this morning have. 
in your spheres of influence, in your family, of all the people that you touch, what an influence that you are or can be, actually. So let me ask you again in closing, remember the covenant and the commitment you made to God to protect the unity of crossroads. Do you act in love toward other members? Do you refuse to gossip? Do you follow your leaders? Do you share the responsibility here at Crossroads? Do you pray regularly for our growth? Do you invite the unchurched to attend with you? Do you warmly welcome visitors? Do you serve the ministry here at Crossroads? Have you discovered your gifts and talents? Are you open to being equipped to serve by your pastors and leadership team? Are you developing a servant's heart? Have you finished life development? We're going to offer that again in January as far as membership. Do you support the testimony of Crossroads? Do you attend faithfully? Do you have a godly life? Do you give generously and consistently? You know, and like I said before, I do believe that, that we all have an element, elephant in our room. And the fact is that we are in this together, whether we sink or swim. Whether 10 years down the road and you've taken me out and thrown me in a hole and come back here and eat potato salad, the church will go on, hopefully. It's not about me. It's about, it's about you. It's about the gifts and talents that God has given you. And another thing I've said a thousand times in the last 20 years as I stand on this stage and look out and see this, there is an aura of potential that hangs over this place that is off the chart. I know some, I know many of you. I know the gift that you have. I know what you're good at. But the fact is we've got to keep doing what we're good at and keep doing it well for God as we move forward. I'm excited about the next year. Sometimes people aren't excited about... I'm excited about 2019 and the way that we're going and the direction that God is leading us. But again, reiterating the fact, it's on you at the end of 2019, where we're at, a lot of it depends. It's all of us together, but it's just not on me. It's, it's on you as well. And I just want to know you to know how much I love you and how important you are in my life and in the kingdom. Father, we love you. We just thank you for being good to us. And uh, as we think about where we're headed, Lord, I just pray that uh, we continue to hold your hand and uh, to focus on you and, and just be obedient. I love these guys, Lord. And I, vast majority of the message that you have me preach are for Eddie. Everybody else is just kind of along for the ride in that message. But I look in the mirror, Lord, and that's what I see. It's on me to be the best witness that I can be, to be the best pastor, the best friend that I can be. So and I just pray we all see that this morning in ourselves. That, Lord, uh, to, we deal with elephants. They're around us all the time, and uh, we've got to know how to put them back in their cage. So I just pray that we do that this morning. And Holy Spirit, as we listen to you, uh, that we're just obedient, and as you come and knock on our heart's door, that we heed whatever you'd like for us to do. We give you praise and glory, and we ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.